Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. Great. <laughs> Joel's jokes. Uh, yeah, it's great to be with you. Um, uh, it's really great to be here. And yes, we are in the second to last week of our series, Visions of God. And in this series, if you've missed the previous talks, essentially we have been looking at times in Scripture where God reveals himself, often in surprising ways, in order that we understand something new about his character and worship him more deeply as a result. And these final two weeks, we are going to be looking at the book of Revelation, and I have drawn the short straw, and I am doing both of the talks on the book of Revelation. Um, I don't know how you feel about the book of Revelation. Uh, I know for many people, they find it a daunting book, a book that some people just don't want to go near because it feels scary, it feels impenetrable. Um, We're not going to get into all the technicalities of it, But if you go on the website, you'll find a series of talks I did a few years ago, uh, some seminars looking at the book of Revelation, uh, Theology Matters, an intro to Revelation. It's on the media page at ChristChurchLondon.org. All the handouts, all the talks are there. Everything you need to know (laughs) in seven sessions. Hopefully, it will help you get to grips with the book. But tonight's talk is actually going to be quite straightforward. I want to just explain a little bit about the book of Revelation, but really get into one section in chapter one. I think one of the reasons people often misunderstand the book is because we think it's a book about the end of the world. That's really not what the book is talking about at all. In fact, the very first verse of the book of Revelation says this. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. And the very first word in the Greek is the word apocalypsis, which I taught you a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Ezekiel 1. And it doesn't mean the end of the world, like we tend to mean when we talk about an apocalypse. It means an unveiling, a revealing. It's like the drawing back of a curtain so that you can see behind. And the idea of this revelation and the whole book of Revelation is that it's almost like there is a curtain between heaven and earth, and the curtain gets drawn back so you get to see into heaven, which is what we'll look at next week in chapter 5, but you also get to see the events of earth through the perspective of heaven. So this book was written to help Christians, to help the church from the whole era, from Jesus' death and resurrection right through to his second coming, to interpret this world and their experience in this complex place through the perspective of heaven. It says, this was written to show his servants what must soon take place. This is meant to be a practical book. And it was written to particular people about what must soon take place. Now, if I said to you, don't worry, my sermon's going to end soon. And I mean some indefinite time in the future, probably 10,000 years away from now. You'd go like, that's not soon, and I'm out of here, and we've locked the doors, so good luck with that. But like, this is soon. This is for people to read and be able to put into practice. This was written to a community so that they would be equipped to live life better. This is not a vague or scary book for some people at some distant part of the future. It is for all of us. It is God's good gift to us, telling us how to navigate this complex world through the perspective of heaven. But of course, a lot of the language is difficult in it, but it would have made way more sense to the original hearers. They understood how this type of literature worked. They knew that certain colors represented certain things and certain numbers had particular meanings. They spotted the allusions to particular leaders and rulers of nations that existed at their time, because it was written in a language that they would be able to understand. But 
If we take the time and the effort to learn how to read the book like they would have read it, we find that actually it's a powerful book that equips us for life right now and will do right up to the second coming of Jesus. And today, I want to pick up at chapter 1, verse 9. And I'm going to read a few verses. I'll make a couple of comments as we go. And then I want to make two very, very simple points tonight. Just because it's on Revelation, this will not be a complex talk tonight. Two simple points, two simple stories, and then we're done and we can go to Mother Kelly's. So let's start at verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Let's just pause there for a second. John is on an island called Patmos because of his preaching. And Patmos was a small island. It was about 24 square miles, and it was just 40 miles off the coast in the Aegean Sea. And it was a place that the Romans used to send their prisoners into exile. These days, it's actually a beautiful little Greek island, so anytime you want to send me there because of my preaching, you're welcome to do that. But for John, he was there for punishment, to stop him preaching, to stop him being useful to the church of God. But Jesus had other ideas. Verse 10. On the Lord's day, John says, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Let's just pause again there. So John sees this vision, and it's a vision of Jesus. And I'm not going to go through all the details of it, partly because if you've been with us through this whole series, some of the strange pictures here will be familiar to you, because they come from passages that we have already looked at. For example, Daniel 7, which Andy Tilsey looked at at the beginning of the series, and Ezekiel 1, which I looked at a couple of weeks ago. The idea of hair like wool, which is white, which in Scripture symbolizes wisdom, and eyes like fire, which symbolize all-seeing purity, and this face that radiates because it's full of the glory of God. John has seen the glory of God, as I said in Ezekiel 1, perfect beauty and perfect authority in the face of Jesus Christ. And he is all those Old Testament longings, the priest and the king, the one who we've been waiting for, all tied together in one person. And John sees him and he falls down at his feet as though dead. Then he says, he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So, John encounters Jesus and he falls down as we should when we see Jesus in his glory. We should find that an overwhelming or inspiring experience. But Jesus puts his hand on him and says, do not fear. And this experience of Jesus and that reassurance of his love and his power and his might is the foundation for the whole of the rest of the book. Jesus is saying, you can navigate this complex world because I am with you. Do not fear. 
He speaks courage into John's heart. And tonight, I just want to make two very simple points, as I've promised. The first is this, that Jesus loves to speak to his church. He loves to speak to his church. Like reading through this chapter, you find just every couple of verses, he's speaking, he's speaking, he's speaking. He loves to speak to his church because he loves to strengthen and equip his church. If you were to look through this passage, you'll find that he speaks in so many different ways. But John says that this whole section, this first section of Revelation is addressed to the seven churches in the province of Asia. And you've got to ask, well, why seven? Or why these seven? Because there weren't only seven churches in Asia at the time. There were plenty of churches. Why not Colossae or Troas or any of the other churches? Well, scholars say that the number seven is significant in apocalyptic literature, of which Revelation is a great example, because seven refers to fullness or completion. So in speaking to these seven churches, Jesus is speaking to seven types of church which together represent the whole church. His message is to those seven churches and therefore to every church that sees themselves in the pattern of these churches. And if you read chapters 2 to 3, there'll be a table summarizing it on the screen in a moment. You find that for each of the churches, Jesus gives firstly a commendation. He says, I see that you have done these good things. I spot the good stuff you do and I want to congratulate you for it. A commendation. But secondly, a correction. He steers them in a new direction where they've got a bit off course. But his corrections, they are firm, but they are loving. Why? Because he also gives them a promise. There is an inheritance that he wants each one of these churches to enjoy. And the reason for his corrections is that he doesn't want the churches to get off course and miss out on the good things that he has for them and the good things he wants them to do. So he says, I see the good you do. I see in this area you could use work. Why don't you repent? Why don't you change your mind? Why don't you get back on track so that you will inherit this promise? And you can read through chapters 2 and 3 and see Jesus' words to his church. He loves to speak to his church. Jesus doesn't just tell his church off, come on guys, you're getting it wrong again. He says, and here is what you're missing out on and here is how you can get it. Jesus loves to speak to and strengthen his church. And right through this passage, he does it in a whole number of different ways. He does it through a vision He does it through a voice like a trumpet, an angel, written word which John writes on the scrolls and sends to the churches. And that's not an exhaustive list at all. That's just the ones in this chapter alone. You see, in many ways, Jesus seems to be trying to get the attention of his people because he loves to speak to his church. And he seems to think that the church needs to hear his voice if we are to be the best we can be. And as I was reading this passage and just reflecting on it, one particular verse stood out that I really, it really challenged me and I want to challenge you with tonight. It's verse 10. John says this, On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice. Now, the Lord's Day is Sunday, okay? It's the day when the church would have gathered to worship. I don't know how when you're on a desert island you manage to keep track of the days, but somehow John has done that, and he is he knows it is the Lord's Day. He knows it is the day where right across Asia and right across the ancient world, people were gathering to worship. And it says that on that day, I was in the Spirit, which is not a common phrase in Scripture, but it tends to mean in the presence of God. And it says on the Lord's Day, I was in the presence of God, I was in the Spirit, and I heard a loud voice. Notice the order that that happens. It's not, no, it happened to be a Sunday and suddenly I heard God's voice and I thought, oh wow, God is here. (laughs) It's the other way around. He has proactively set aside time to get in the spirit, to be in the presence of God, and then he hears God's voice. Jesus, I think, is speaking all the time. 
And I think that there are things we can do to get into a place where we are more able to hear his voice. Do you long to hear more of the voice of God? No, I'm the only one. (laughs) Do you long to hear more of the voice of God? Then there are things you can do to proactively put yourself in the place where you are going to hear his voice, where it's inevitable. To get in the spirit so that when his voice comes, it's like, oh, wow. Well, of course I was going to hear that. I was expecting to hear that. There are things we can do to hear his voice. I don't think that the reason we don't hear him so much is because he's not speaking. I think he's speaking all the time. I think the reason I don't hear his voice as much as I'd like to is because I'm not listening all the time. Let me give you an example. Right now, just listen. (laughs) A lovely, beautiful bell. Apart from that, there is gorgeous music going on in this room right now. There is so much music in this room right now. Music of every genre taking place in this room right now. Just you can't hear it because it exists in the form of radio waves. But it's there, right? Music of every genre just playing all around us. But our bodies aren't able to receive that. Now, if you wanted to hear the music that is going on around here, what you would do is you get a radio and you tune it into that particular frequency and you would suddenly be able to hear what was already there. Like, turning on the radio doesn't make the music start, right? My grasp of technology is not great, but even I know that there's not someone sitting there going, always turn the radio on, quick, hit play. Like, that's not how radios work. The waves are there already. If you want to hear them, you've got to tune in to what is already there. I think the same is true of the voice of God. I think he is speaking all the time. And if we want to hear his voice, there are things we can do to set aside time to proactively get into the place where we are ready to hear from him, to be in the spirit, ready to engage with him. I mean, John does it on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. So at the time when everyone else was gathering to worship, even though John, against his will, wasn't able to be with them, he seems to think it's important to say, I'm going to set aside this time. There is real value in hearing God's voice together. And the fact that you're here on a Sunday suggests that you probably agree with me on that, which is great. And if you're listening on the podcast, well, I hope you're enjoying your holiday. And we look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Don't be late. (laughs) That told you. So (laughs) there is value in gathering together on the Lord's Day with the Lord's people. Why? Because Jesus loves to speak not only to individuals, but to his whole church. To be able to say, here are the good things you are doing. I see them. I know them. I want to encourage you to keep doing them. Here are the areas where you're getting off track. You remember that mission I've given you for this city and the part of the city that you're in. Here are the things that you're missing out on. Here are the changes you can make. That's why it's important that we gather and we worship and we hear the same passage of scripture explained and we get to pray together. And we watch videos like that incredible one earlier just reminding us Jesus sees the good that you are doing on the other side of the world. And when we remind ourselves of that, it makes us think, I want to do more, right? Because when we gather together, we hear Jesus speaking to us. But also, I think Jesus speaks to us wherever we happen to find ourselves. I mean, John was literally not with the people of God where he wanted to be. He was in prison. And if Jesus can speak to him there, he can speak to us anywhere. He can speak to us in our workplace or at university, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, on your commute, looking after the kids. Wherever you find yourself tomorrow, Jesus can speak to you, and he loves to speak to you. All he asks is that you tune in to his voice. If you want to hear more of God's voice, tune in. Get in the spirit. Ask him. Prepare your heart. He's already speaking, and he wants to speak more. Let me tell you an example of how I am learning about this. And um, I said to my wife when we were driving to the South Service, I really don't like sharing stories about myself. I find it awkward in sermons. Um, 
partly because I just think, I don't, I don't know, I just find, I just find it awkward. Um, I don't want to be like, hey, uh, I'm so amazing, like, this is my story. But So I'm just going to take it that you know I'm not amazing, right? You know me, you know I'm normal. <laughs> um, and more it's the case, I don't want you to think, wow, Liam's so incredible, but more like, well, if Liam can do this, any of us can do this. So this is, <laughs> and my wife's like, yeah, that's, that's how everyone interprets it. So, <laughs> um, so with that caveat, um, here's how I am learning to listen to the voice of God more. A couple of weeks ago, I knew I was going to be speaking on this, and I thought, I want to be hearing God's voice more. So I'm walking to work, and I decided I needed to listen to a podcast. So I got my podcast app out, and I'm flicking through them. I'm just like scrolling past Tilsley's ones. <laughs> no God there. <laughs> uh, not in the mood for a hobbit this morning. So I'm just, I'm sort of scrolling past, trying to find one. I come across a, a church, um, Joel's favorite church, Bridgetown Church, in, apart from Christchurch. Um, uh, this church in America is a great church. And I found a talk by a lady who was a guest speaker there, actually. And she was speaking on how God speaks in dreams. I have zero experience of this. I know that the Bible talks about this all the time. I know loads of people who have experienced that. I just haven't. I mean, I don't ever remember my dreams, whether they're from God or something I ate. I don't know. I just never remember my dreams. But I thought, okay, I'll give it a go. I'll, I'll listen to this talk. So I'm walking to work and I'm listening to it. And this lady is explaining from the Bible about how and why God speaks. And, and then she tells some stories of her own life about how she has heard God speak to herself for very specific situations and how she's also been able to interpret dreams for other people as well, people who don't even know Jesus. And, and I'm listening to this and I found one particular story just made me well up and I was thinking, I want to hear God like that. And so at the end of the talk, she said, if you want to hear God's voice in dreams, here's what you can do. Firstly, sleep. And I was like, wow, that's the best sermon ever. Uh, I can do that. Like sleep. Uh, and, and before you sleep, ask God to speak to you in a dream and expect that he will and prepare yourself. Get a bit of paper and a pen, put it next to your bed, ask Jesus to speak. When you wake up in the middle of the night, having had a dream, write it down. Sometimes you'll get up in the morning, you'll look at that and you'll go, mm, no, I think that was just my brain processing the day. And that's fine because that's what dreams are about. That's why they're there. But sometimes you will look at that and just think, oh, I think there's something special about that. I think God may be saying something. So I was like, great, I can try that. I don't really dream anyway, so no real risk. I went to bed that very night and I said, Lord Jesus, if you want to speak to me in a dream, great, uh, I got my bit of paper, I'm ready to go. <laughs> I went to sleep. A couple of hours later, I woke up having had a dream. And it wasn't Revelation-style dream beasts and that sort of stuff. It was quite straightforward. Um, there was a couple in the dream who I don't know very well. My wife knows them more than I do. I've met them three or four times. Um, but they are a couple that are about to go and start a church at a particular place in the UK. And uh, I saw them in the dream standing in front of a wall of a building. And on the wall was a plaque. And on the plaque, it said 1846. And I felt in the dream that God was saying that their church would be as significant for the town as the events of 1846 were. I just woke up and I thought, okay, I'll write that down. So I wrote that down, went back to sleep. The next morning I got up and I was like, oh, I think God spoke to me in a dream last night. Really excited to see what he said. And I remembered it was still vivid. And I looked at the bit of paper and it's like, I, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I don't know. I've never been to this town. I don't know anything about the history of this town. I specifically don't know what happened on one year in the 1800s. So I was like, I don't know what to do with that. So I turned to my spiritual advisor, Google, and I typed the <laughs> every answer you could possibly want. Um, I typed in the name of the town at 1846. First thing that came up was this, the next picture. 
This is a picture of a railway works in that town. It was a painting that was done in 1846 of a prototype steam train that was made in 1846. And I read the short article, and it said that this train was so significant for the town. It opened up uh, business and commerce and changed the economy. And, and not only that, it affected the whole region because suddenly it was connected. And so I was reading this and thinking, ah, oh, maybe God wants to say something about this, but I didn't really know what to do with that. Oh, you're going to be like a train. I, did, I didn't know what the deal was with that. So I was praying about it, and I prayed about it at home, and I prayed about it on my walk to work. And as I started praying, I just found all these ideas just tumbling into my head. I think God wants to do this with this church, and this will be the effect, and all these details. And scriptures just come into mind, and I'm writing them down, and I get to work, and I type them up, and I look at it, I'm like, wow, this is exciting. I think God has spoken to me. And then my heart sank, because I realized, now I need to send this to that couple. <laughs> And I don't know them very well. And they're going to be like, you dreamed about us on a train? <laughs> and what if I'm wrong? I had no experience in this. So I thought, oh, I've just got to do it. So I went to email them. I realized I didn't have their email address. So I thought I'd go on Facebook. So I went on Facebook, about to message the guy. And suddenly I realized that he had just posted an article about their church plants. So I thought, great, I'll check that out. And then if it's completely different to my dream, I won't send it. <laughs> so I open it up and it says, we are pleased to announce that we have got a building for our very first church plant. And the building is that one. <laughs> the old disused railway works. And, and so I read that and I thought, oh God, you are real. <laughs> which is great because I've worked for you for years. <laughs> so, so you'll be thrilled tonight to know that I've signed up for Alpha and tonight I want to give my life to the Lord. <laughs> so that's half the story. As well as praying that God would speak to me in a dream, when I heard that talk, I also thought, I want to help others as well. So I prayed, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to interpret dreams for others? I didn't talk to anyone about this. Four days later, I get an email out of the blue from someone who used to be at Christchurch, now lives in America. One single sentence. Hey, I've been having some crazy dreams recently. I think God might be speaking to me. Do you know anyone that may be able to help? I said, I don't know. Do I know anyone? <laughs> I thought, oh, man, I, I prayed that prayer. I'm, I'm never going to pray again. Like, <laughs> if this is what happens, God answers them. So I said, okay, I, I don't know. I've got no experience in this, but the Bible says interpretation belongs to the Lord, not to me. So I'm happy for you to send me your dream and I'll read it and I'll pray. She sent me nine dreams. <laughs> nine dreams. They were not like, here's someone standing in front of a wall. They were odd dreams. Like some of them, I, was, I had no idea what to do with them. So I printed out the nine dreams and I sat down and I prayed. I said, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing here. I know that you speak in dreams. I'm going to believe that you're doing this. Help me to understand this. And then as I read them, I was like, oh, that connects with that. And in the Bible, that tends to represent that. And as I read it, it was like I understood what God was saying. And so I emailed back this guy. I don't know her very well. And I was like, I think that God may be saying this about your past and this about your present and maybe this about your future. And as we have corresponded over the last week, and she has sent me four more dreams since, <laughs> I found that God has just been speaking to her in ways that really excite me. I mean, that's not even the full story. It empowered last week and in other times as well. People who I have not told about this have come up to me and said, I've been having weird dreams recently. Do you know what I should be doing? And I'm like, you have come to the right guy. <laughs> I've concluded three things. One, Jesus loves to speak to his church. I mean, he, loves, he does it all the time in so many unexpected ways. He loves to speak to his church. Secondly, he loves to speak to his church through his people. I am not special. You, you know me. I'm normal. Well, <laughs> maybe that's too far, but I am not special. I am a normal Christian. I'd never experienced this before. But Jesus loves to speak to his church through anyone who listen. 
thirdly, I, I've concluded that I don't think that's the first time Jesus has spoken to me in a dream. I think it's just the first time I noticed because it was the first time I bothered to listen. I think Jesus is speaking all the time. I reckon there are people in this room, maybe even people who don't even know if you know God right now. And Jesus has been trying to speak to you. I reckon, I, I reckon there are people, maybe even here tonight, who have experienced dreams or thoughts or just circumstances they can't explain. And you've thought, I don't even know if there is a God, but I wonder if that's him. Well, if that's you, I would love to talk with you and pray with you at the end. Our prayer team would love to pray with you and see if we can help you discern what Jesus may be trying to say because he loves to speak. It's not weird. It's meant to be normal. He loves to speak to his church. So if you want to hear his voice more, there are things you can do to be in the spirit, ready, tuning in to his voice. This week, why don't you, every day, set aside some time to listen to him? It doesn't need to be long, just five minutes, perhaps. And in fact, one of the key ways, the key way that Jesus speaks is through his word, through the Bible. So if you don't know where to start, start there. Read the Bible and ask him to speak through that. Set aside time, ask him to speak. I mean, start with the Bible, but don't be so clear with an agenda. I want you to speak on this, and I only want to speak in this particular manner. Like, be open to the many ways that God wants to speak. He may surprise you. Set aside time, ask him to speak, write down what he says, and then do what he says. Because Jesus doesn't speak just for like a party trick. So we go, oh, that was nice. He speaks to us for a reason. Why? Because point two, Jesus speaks to the church so he can speak through the church. Jesus speaks to the church so he can speak through the church. In this book of Revelation, in this chapter, it describes Jesus walking among seven lampstands. And I love it when Revelation understands that it's difficult, a difficult book. Like sometimes you look at this symbol, you think, I have no idea what that's about. Revelation 1, verse 20, it gives us a hint. It says, by the way, the mystery the lampstands refer to the church. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. That's helpful. So the lampstands refer to the church, but that makes me think, well, why? Like, in what sense is the church like a lampstand? Why that image and not something else? Well, I think the answer can be found in two Old Testament passages, Exodus 25 and Numbers 8, where God gives this, this instruction for how to build the tabernacle, the place of worship. And he says that in this place of worship, there is to be the most holy place where God himself dwells. And he is there in all his glory, but he is so holy and bright and radiant that you can't see that and live. And so the holy place is, is curtained off. And then in front of the curtains, they were told to build what? Seven golden lampstands. And these lampstands are ornate, and they've got fruit, and they've got um, vegetation, they've got floral patterns all engraved into them. And so the seven lampstands are there in front of the curtain, and what do they do? They bear fruit, and they shine light. And they represent what is behind the curtain, which you cannot see. And Revelation says, well, those lampstands refer to the church, and the church is meant to do what those lampstands did, right? So... This is Jesus' vision for the church. The church stands between God and the world. And the church is designed, like those lampstands, to bear good fruit and shine light so that when you see the church, you get a glimpse of the God behind the curtain who you can't see. That's Jesus' vision for the church. He speaks through the church. The idea is that when you get a glimpse of the church operating as it was meant to, it's as if you are seeing a bit of God. Now, I know that as I say that, some of you are like, seriously, that's not been my experience of church. And I know that in a room like this, 
it is a safe bet that there will be people who have had bad experiences of church. And it may well be that you have been hurt by church and consequently have negative views about God. Maybe you have experienced churches that have not been honest, not been truthful, not been welcoming, not been loving, where they have abused power or been hypocritical. And if that is the case and you have had a negative experience that has made you think, I don't want to know that God that they talk about, then I want to say with all sincerity from the bottom of my heart, that grieves me and I am so, so sorry. I really am. But you need to know it doesn't just grieve me and all of us who lead this service. It grieves God way more than it grieves me. I mean, read Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus speaks firmly and clearly to his church. But he essentially says, if you keep misrepresenting me, if you don't shine light like you're meant to, if you don't bear good fruit, if you keep misrepresenting me, I will take away your lampstand. I will shut you down. Because God does not want the church misrepresenting his glory. If you have been hurt by the church, my appeal to you is please do not give up on the church. But most importantly of all, do not give up on God. Because God is grieved when the church fails to represent him right. The church should be a place, when it's operating right, where you can experience his life to the full. Where you can experience freedom and healing and forgiveness and welcome and acceptance and love and truth in all its fullness. As if you were experiencing the presence of God. Jesus loves to speak through his church. In John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, the one who has come to bring guidance and freedom. And and then he said to his disciples, you are the light of the world. I'm like, Jesus, which is it? Are you the light or are we the light? It's both. Why? Because we are designed to reflect the light of Jesus. When people see us, they should get a glimpse of the glory of God himself. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus' vision for the church is that we would bear so much good fruit and shine so much light because he speaks to us so he can speak through us. And when people encounter the church, they should see a quality of life that is available only through Jesus. And they should look at our good deeds and not glorify us but say there's something way more glorious going on than this small group of people can muster see through us to the light who we reflect and glorify him our father in heaven that's what the church is meant to do Jesus speaks to the church so he can speak through the church and this world needs to hear Jesus how is this world going to hear him unless through us I want to tell you a story as we come into close and as I was thinking about this, that just the two aspects of Jesus speaking to us and through us, a particular story came to mind. And it's from a church that my family attend, actually, in Ashford, Kent, um, a vineyard church there. And when I heard it, I was like, oh, it's, it's a beautiful, powerful story. Um, last July, one of the leaders, a lady named Nick, was asleep one night and she had a dream. And in this dream, she was in a meeting with someone talking about a building and saying, hey, is there any chance that we could have this shop front on Ashford High Street 
free of charge for the month of October. And so she was asking this conversation with, with someone she didn't know. And the next thing, she saw herself in this shop on the high street. And she said it was a beautiful boutique clothes store. And people were bringing in donations of clothes, but it didn't have a charity shop sort of feel. It, it felt like a boutique shop, if you see what I mean. And everything was hanging, nice clothes hanging on these rails. And some of them had prices on, and some of them had red dots. And her sense was that some people were able to come in and buy the clothes, and others were maybe referred there, and they could come and take the clothes for free. But as she looked around at the people in the shop, she couldn't tell who was who. Everyone was treated with the same level of dignity and respect. So she had this dream, and she woke up, and she said to her husband, what, sh- what do you think it means? What should we do? And he was like, well, I think you should clear your diary for October, because that's what Jesus wants you to to do. So she knew that there was someone in the church who had a similar dream and vision for something like this and went to her and said, look, is this the kind of thing you were thinking? And the lady was like, yeah. She said, great, let's do it. And they're like, where? <laughs> we don't have a shop. So Nick walked down the high street in Ashford, past all these empty shops, and there are plenty of them in Ashford, and um, was just praying as she was going. And uh, just none of them particularly stood out. And then she got to one particular one, praying, and she felt like there was something just captivating about that shop. So she's praying, and she looks at the sign from the estate agents and thinks, I've got to go to that estate agent. So she writes down the name, and she finds out where it is, and goes in and says, hey, can I meet with your manager? And has this meeting with the guy and says, hey, is there any chance we can have this shop free of charge for the month of October? And the guy said, no. (laughs) No, you can't. Because we've already loaned it to someone else. But I think there's somewhere else you could have and found a shop that was better for them in a better location and way more suited to their needs and gave it to them free for the month of October. Except actually it wasn't quite enough space for their storage, so she, he also gave them the room above as well so they could use that for their storage. So suddenly they're like, oh man, we've got this building, what do we do? And they quickly had to get this project off the ground. So they got a team in, a team of volunteers, and they built all these, uh, this kind of cafe area and these changing rooms and people brought donations of high quality clothes and local shops gave mannequins and shop fittings and all sorts of things and they decked out this shop which they called the Beehive and they launched it last October for a whole month. And it was a beautiful boutique shop. And uh, people, in fact, there'll be some pictures on the screen. And people will be able to come in and have coffee and cake free of charge and look around. And people could buy clothes and loads of people came and bought clothes. But also people, women, could be referred from health workers or social workers or from the women's refuge um, to come in and to get clothes completely free of charge if they needed them. And when they came in, they would be met by a volunteer who would give them coffee and cake and sit and chat and act like their personal shopper and talk about their particular tastes and what they wanted in clothes and all these sorts of things and just make them feel loved and known and cared for. And then they'd go and they'd hunt out all these good clothes for them. And when they came out of their dressing room, they'd celebrate how beautiful they looked and they'd take photos of them and put the Polaroids on their wall of beauty. And the whole thing was just designed to create the sense of dignity for everyone, and everyone was treated the same, whether you were buying or whether you were there to get clothes for free. The point was that everyone felt beautiful, everyone felt known and loved and celebrated. Across that month, they sold plenty of clothes. They also gave away 1,400 pounds worth of clothes to women who needed it and were able to connect many women to other services that would help them as well, community projects or places they could get equipment for their kids. Uh, I'll tell you one particular story, but next week they get to relaunch for two days and they have just secured funding to turn this into a permanent project in the future, which is just really exciting. Here's one story which I loved. A lady came in one day, uh, brought in by a volunteer from an organization called CAP Christians Against Poverty, who are 
Brilliant, brilliant charity. And the camp volunteer brought her in and said, I'm sorry, we don't have an appointment, but this lady has a job interview tomorrow. Is there any chance that we could get some clothes? And so they're like, yeah, sure, come on in. They got a coffee and cake and they sat and they chatted to her about her style and all these sorts of things. And then they went round and they shopped and they tried them on, took the Polaroid pictures, celebrated her. And the lady was overwhelmed to be able to leave that day with 20 items of clothing completely free of charge. A couple of days later, the volunteers from the Beehive get an email from the CAP volunteer, and it says, I want you to know what a difference your project made in this lady's life. When I picked her up that morning, she was dejected. She was as low as I have ever seen her. She was convinced she would never be able to get a job and provide for her family. When she left your shop, it was like she was a completely different woman. She was filled with hope. She was filled with a sense of dignity. She held herself differently. The next day, she went to a job interview wearing her new clothes. She got that job. That was in October. Now, this lady is plugged into community. Her children have come along to church. They've been along to various different projects. They have found friends. She has kept a job. Why? Because she encountered something of the empowering love of God. And it started with Jesus speaking to a lady in a dream in the night and through her and through the volunteers spoke to this woman and many others because Jesus loves to speak to his church so he can speak through his church. And his vision has always been that when people encounter the church, they get to see good fruit and light and glorify their father who is in heaven i love that story and i want more of those stories that should not be the exception when i think of stories of jesus speaking to and through his church i shouldn't have to go outside of this church i want more and more and more stories from this church there are stories already i want more I want stories of that through this service, through the other services we have across the city and wherever we find ourselves scattered across london Jesus longs to speak to us so he can speak through us. And this world needs to hear his voice. So do you want to hear more of God's voice? If so, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'd love to pray for us as we close. In fact, maybe let's all stand and the band would like to come back up. And we're going to sing and we're going to respond in worship. But I'd like to give you a moment just to respond personally. To be honest, the best response to a talk like this is not what will happen right now and going and speaking to the prayer team, although those are brilliant responses. The best response to a talk like this is tomorrow when you set aside five minutes to listen to Jesus' voice and then do what he tells you to do. And then when you do the same on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and when you make a lifestyle of listening to Jesus and doing the things he asks of you, that's the best response. But we can start that right now by making a decision. So I wonder if you'll join me in just closing your eyes and holding out your hands. And then I'm going to pray a very simple prayer, just line by line. And I wonder if you'll just repeat it after me. Here's the prayer. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And I will do whatever you ask. Let's pray it again. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And I will do whatever you ask. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.